0: So we're into week three, and I've entitled this promise, God promised Shekinah. We're looking today from Isaiah 60, 1 to 6, in the prophecy of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and where it collides into the promise of the New Testament in Matthew 2, 1 to 11. In Isaiah 60, verse 1, we read, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And that light, of course, into the world is Christ. And the glory, the Shekinah of the Lord rises upon you. Each week in this series, I've been giving you one of my classic Christmas clips. So let's have a look at this one before I get into preaching the word this morning. Alright, uh, that takes care of the back of the house. You wanna you wanna go around and take the lights off the front? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh hey, by the way, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I don't know who'd get on that roof. You are awesome. Yeah. Hey, uh, is that the house you were talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. They leave their lights up all year round. They leave their lights on all year long. Check it out. So they leave their lights on all year long? All year long. And those bulbs change according to whatever holiday season it is. Get out! Can't wish I could. So like, July 4th? Those bulbs come red, white, and blue. Thanksgiving. Harvest colors. Halloween. Black and orange. Memorial Day. Camouflage. Get out! Can't wish I could. I, I bet it's embarrassing for the neighbors. Oh, the neighbors. We're totally embarrassed. We complain about it all the time. Oh, and when there is no holiday season going on, those bulbs become little red hot chili pepper lights. What? Yep. Give me one good reason why you should celebrate the pepper. can't wish I could. It's like your neighbors are in Motel 6. My wife, she's always saying, let's just leave the lights on just a little bit longer. Let's just stay in the spirit of things. But when Christmas is over, you take down the lights. Am I right? I don't know. I'm not even the right guy to ask. I don't even put lights on my house. Why don't you put lights on your house? I'm afraid of heights. But the question is, why do you put lights on your house? To celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, all that kind of stuff. There you go. That's your answer. What? If you don't want to celebrate Christ all year long, then take the lights down. That's not what I was saying. You're putting words in my mouth. You're siding with my wife. Hey, hey, I'm not siding with anyone. And I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you and God were, uh, you know... On the outs? Yeah. We're not on the outs. Me and God, we're very tight. We're very, very tight. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Prove it. Prove what? Are you daring me to leave my lights on all your lungs? Hey! No dare here. I'm just saying. You gonna let your little light shine? Wait! Man the ladder, my friend. What? Man that ladder. We're gonna get back up there and hang these lights. No, no, no. Oh, I was just kidding. Oh, uh, yes. It is gonna be a proclamation of my faith. Didn't you hear? I- I'm afraid of heights. You're already up there. <laughs> honey! Honey! Get the apple cider ready! Put on the Pericomo records! These lights are gonna shine! <laughs> get back here! These lights have to shine! All right. I think Caitlin mentioned that she leaves the lights up all year round. What a godly woman, (laughs) hey? Alright, Shekinah, the Shekinah glory, it's about the, the light of the Lord. It's about the presence of God shining in and through God's people. And so today we're going to look at when Shekinah appears, how Shekinah attracts, And what Shekinah accepts as we look at the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah colliding in the fulfillment of Matthew 2 when the wise men follow the star to Bethlehem. So let me read to you Isaiah's prophecy, make some comments along the way, and then we're going to connect the two together. Isaiah 60 verse 1 again. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See darkness. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. It's a metaphor of life without the light of Christ. People are still living today under the plague of spiritual darkness. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. So Isaiah sort of bursts onto the scene with this light coming into the darkness of people's lives. I don't think it's too hard for you to imagine that there is a thick, thick spiritual darkness that is covering every corner of the planet that we live in today. But it's nothing new, is it? It takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, yes, when we were in the garden with God, Adam and Eve, when we were sharing in the glory of God, but we chose to sin against God and we brought that spiritual darkness, that separation from the light. And so what needed to happen was a new light needed to come into the darkness, So just as God, hovering over the darkness, said, let there be light, and there was light, now he spoke a new word in his son, Jesus Christ, bringing a fresh light into our lives. And this is the new light that Isaiah prophesied. Jesus makes you this offer this morning from John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever... Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus came to be that light at Christmas, to die at Calvary in order for us to get back the glory that we lost in the garden. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, For you were once darkness, not, not living in darkness, but the very nature within us was darkness darkness but now you are light in the Lord so light light represents our saviour darkness represents our sin and we are encouraged to live as children of the light so God enlightens our lives spiritually so we can declare I've seen the light have you seen the light this morning the spiritual light of Christ in you You know, I was thinking about the stained glass windows this week and there's a little story of a a boy who was sitting with his mummy in church and as the sun shone in through the stained glass window, it came through the people in the window and he said, Mummy, who are those people in the window? Mummy, seeing a a teaching moment, said, "Well, Well, son, they're the saints. She said, Do you know who the saints are? He thought about it for a moment and said... They're the ones the light shines through. It's a good answer, isn't it? We are the saints. We are to allow the light of Christ in us to shine through us so that other people can be led towards Jesus, the saviour of the world. Verses 3 and 4, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Verses 5 and 6, then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you to you the riches of the nations will come. So we're to radiate, and we're to reflect uh, this light across the planet. The whole idea is that we are to shine the glory of God, shining through us. You know, Jesus said to his followers in Luke 11:36, 36, if you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life Will be radiant your whole life will radiate the shekinah glory of god as though a floodlight is shining on you finally herds of camels will cover your land young camels of midian of Ephah, and all from sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the lord So Isaiah, he saw a time when wise men would come, led by a star, to bow down and worship this child king, the final high priest and the saviour of the world. So firstly, from the prophecy to the promise, let's look at when Shekinah appears. Again, Isaiah 60 verse 2. The Lord rises upon you and his glory appears on you. Over you. Connecting into Matthew 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. All right. Let's firstly get the largest oxymoron in the world out of the way. An oxymoron is a two contradicting words, yes? Ladies, wise and man. Wise and man. They're generally two words that don't go together, aren't they? Yeah? I can see you ladies, you're having a little chuckle. Just imagine it like this, ladies. They're not talking about your men. The wise men were called magi, yes? It's from the Latin word, but it's actually an Iranian word. that's magoi, yeah? Magoi. And it's uh, describing these people who are a little bit uh, eccentric, a little bit strange, a little bit weird. They dressed funny. They were into astrology and uh, uh, spells and incantations. It's uh, from the magi we get the English word magic. But I don't want you to think of some people who were sleight of hand and did magic tricks. No, no, no. These guys, it actually is a word that means the educated, respected, religious, scientific scholars of the day. These were very important people. You had to be in order to get an audience with the king. But the point I want to make is that they weren't dummies. Yeah, They were mostly intelligent men of their age Spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to find the Messiah and worship him. And isn't that the message of Christ at Christmas? You know, I always encourage people, you don't have to leave your brain at the door. It's not like we're entering into some sort of magical, mystery wonderland here this morning. No, 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 we're invited to come in and actually search the scriptures and we will find the same thing that millions of other people before us have found, that it's all true. One of the greatest minds of the 20th century was T.S. Eliot. In 1948, he actually won the uh, Nobel Prize for Literature. But many of his early poems, he ridiculed Christianity. Later, uh, in searching for spirituality, he uh, delved deep into Buddhism and into Judaism, and then into Islam. But it wasn't until he opened up the the scriptures that he actually found the Saviour. And that was the one thing that changed his life. In 1927, at the age of 39, he was baptised and became a believer. And he became this great spokesman for the intellectual viability of Christianity. And his writings changed. All of the scholars uh, say very clearly there's a distinct difference in his writings before and after becoming a Christian. Early on, uh, Eliot disguised his own personal testimony in a poem, The Journey of the Magi. In it, he describes himself as a, a wise man looking back on his journey that changed his life. The very last bit of the poem just concludes, like the wise men... I searched a long time for the truth about God. When I finally discovered Jesus, I found the truth that changed my life. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus simply says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We always think there's three wise men, don't we? Why do we get that? Three gifts. And we sing a couple of carols. We're going to sing it at the end today, yeah? Uh, We talk about these three kings who travel afar with these gifts. But we're not actually told how many uh, wise men there actually were. It could have been three or 23 or 103. We don't actually know. Scripture tells us they came from the east, yeah? So we do know they would have travelled, if we can bring up the map. Thanks, Carly. Many say that they came from the nation of Babylon, from the east, travelling towards Jerusalem. Today it's modern day Iran and Iraq. But they would have travelled like this. Camels? There they are! Can you imagine travelling through the desert like that? No uh, cars with air conditioning, no motels to stop at along the way, No McDonald's, yeah? They travelled around about 1,500 kilometres in what we call caravans. Now, caravans aren't like the caravans that the grey nomads travel around Australia today. A caravan was a large group of people, yeah? These guys, they would have seen this star in the east and they would have planned and prepared to leave and that's why travelling 1,500 kilometres like this, mostly at night... To avoid all of the heat during the day, it took them over a year. And that's why when they arrive, Jesus is around about 18 months of age. So they go through all of that, this inhospitable terrain, uh, they travel uh, at night, Uh, there's all sorts of things that could happen to them, all sorts of uh, sandstorms and everything. So these were serious star trekkers, weren't they? These guys were serious in their search for a saviour. And all of that happens to them, and then they stumble across the most dangerous man in Judea, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Where is the one who was born, King of the Jews? This really agitated Herod, yeah? It was like, a, a, you know, on the, uh, the, the, the spin cycle in the washing machine. He was all churned up. And that's the way a lot of people are at Christmas, isn't it? I find more people today are more panicked and agitated with what's going on in Christmas rather than actually having the Prince of Peace dwell within them. You've heard about the woman who uh, uh, went to the shops on Christmas Eve. She was there to try and get presents for all of her loved ones. She gets in the car, she goes down, the crowds are crazy. She can't get a car park anywhere. She's driving around for an hour Getting all churned up and agitated. Finally she finds a park, she gets in there and the crowds are just incredible. The line up at the register and most of the stuff's already gone. She spends way, way, way more on her credit card than she wants to. And finally, all loaded down with all these bags, she makes it to the lift to go up to the car park and there's not a space for her. Crowd moves back and finally she squeezes in And the doors close and then suddenly in exasperation she yells out, whoever came up with this holiday should be shot. A few other people go, yeah, that's right, I've got a full of this myself. Someone at the back says, "Uh, don't worry, they've already crucified him. That's the way many, many people feel about Christmas, isn't it? It's it's not the joy, and it's not the peace, and it's not the love that uh, we experience at Christmas. You see, Herod, he was the original Scrooge. This guy did not want another king to be worshipped. Whereas the one who was born king of the Jews, you know what Herod's title was? King of the Jews. He ruled from 40 to 4 BC. He was a man preoccupied with power. And so with power comes paranoia. He was determined to get rid of anyone who would try and dethrone him, and that included Christ. He saw his brother's wife as a threat to the throne, so he had him drowned. Then his uh, wife's grandfather he had killed. Then, uh, why well, stop there? He went with the wife and the mother in law, he had them executed as well. He had two of his sons executed, and then just five days before his own death, he had his third son executed. Caesar Augustus once said this, It's safer to be Herod's pig, because Jews don't eat pork, than to be Herod's son. So Herod had a a dark side, didn't he? He literally wanted to kill Christmas. He wanted to extinguish the light. Later on in Matthew 2.16, When Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, according to the time he had learned from the Magi. But you know, many people display a fairly dark side this time of year, don't they? If you mention Jesus Christ, the reason for the Christmas season, uh, they get a little bit agitated with you. Give it a go and see how it works out for you. Because they don't want you messing around with their happy holiday plans. Folks, people today are still trying to kill off Christmas. Now in verses 4 to 6, Herod, he calls the priests and says, What's going on, guys? (laughs) And they say, Listen, there's a prophet called Micah. And he actually prophesied that Jesus would come and be born in Bethlehem. So he knew there when, uh, sorry, where the Messiah would be born, but he didn't know when. So after traveling hundreds, 1,500 kilometers, yeah, uh, the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, only to actually discover you're about 10 kilometers off course. They had to go another 10 kilometers to Bethlehem to find the Savior. And I thought to myself, that's a lot like Christmas every single year. You know, people start out on the journey, don't they? Oh, it's December and the lights go up and so do the trees. And then we start to spend time gathering all of the food for the journey. yeah. And then uh, we get all of the gifts that we need. But all the way through, we arrive at December 25th and we never actually journey to Jesus. He's somehow forgotten in the midst of it all. So, Herod knew where but not when. So, verse 7 Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now, of course, we're focusing in on Isaiah, uh, but we know that it took a lot of prophets to come out with a lot of prophecies 330 different prophecies about the Messiah. And so, there are a lot of other passages that we can look at around the coming of Christ at Christmas? while well, we don't uh, know the exact day of Christ's birth. Some people do suggest it is written in the stars in prophecy. In Numbers 24, verse 17, a star will come out of Jacob. And that's a direct reference to Matthew chapter 2. Of course, many people believe like myself, that Jesus would have been born in the cooler months around September, yeah? And of course, uh, if you are born in September, then you would be conceived in December. Not born in December, but conceived in December. Is there any uh, Jewish festivals in December? Hanukkah, the festival of lights, And so there's a a lot of understanding that Jesus would have come at that, uh, uh, sorry, that uh, uh, the, uh, the angel Gabriel would have come at that time to Mary to talk about conceiving a child. So conceived in December, born in September, yeah? September, any festivals in September? The Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is all about God dwelling With us. Yeah? So it would have been that time. And if you look for September, you know that the star sign is Virgo the Virgin. Now, all that might seem a little strange in the Christian context, but understand, folks, zodiac signs originated where? In the East, in Babylon, about a thousand BC. But how did the Magi know when the star would appear? They were looking for this Jewish king. It's because Daniel, another prophet, he was exiled to Babylon, wasn't he? And he spent years there. And the word Magi actually appears in Daniel over 14 times. Daniel 2 verse 48 tells us that Daniel was placed uh, in charge of the Magi. He would have Shared and studied the scriptures with them. And so in Daniel 9 25 and 26, the angel Gabriel delivered this miraculous prophecy to Daniel. Gabriel, the same angel who would show up 500 years later to Mary and announce the birth of the Messiah. He says, Know and understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and we know. Uh, that that happened under Cyrus when the Persians overtook the Babylonians under Cyrus in 444 BC. He allowed uh, the Jews to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. It says until the Anointed One comes, capital A, capital O. Jesus. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. After the sixty-two sevens, how long is that? 483 years. Then it tells us there the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. And so from that time when they got sent back all the way through, 483 (laughs) lunar years, 354 days according to the Jewish calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we live in today takes us exactly to the time when Jesus would enter Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. So, these Babylonians, these wise men, they were studying the scriptures for centuries. Most uh, theologians uh, uh, believe that they would have been uh, looking for that time, uh, that the time was coming close But the only thing that sealed the deal was the fact that suddenly a star appeared. You know, I've discovered in my life, and I hope you have too, that all of the solutions are always found in our lives by consulting scripture. Not the stars, amen? It's from the scripture we find what God wants us to do. So you can imagine the surprise on these foreigners' faces when they arrive and nobody here has got a clue about what is going on. On. And that's like today, isn't it? You know, uh, we live in some dark times. There are times when I speak to people today children, young adults, adults that probably should know, and they've got no idea what the real meaning of the Christmas season is all about. It was written in an old book long, long ago, and it's been put far, far away. And that's why it's so important, you know, for us just to go through the classic passages of Scripture and just to remind ourselves afresh and anew about our faith and why Christ came that first Christmas. So next, the prophecy to the promise, how Shekinah attracts. Isaiah 60 verse 3. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And that connects to Matthew 2, 9 and 10. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And we know, don't we, that light is a miracle. You know, scientists will tell you they're not actually quite too sure how light even works, where it originally comes from. Uh, We know that there's only 30% of the spectrum of light that we can actually see. So the Magi, they left on this quest to find the Messiah. And they had what I would call the world's first GPS. Yeah? God positioned star God sent them this light in the sky to guide them and the Bible calls it a star but people will say it's a supernova people will say it's a comet you've got no idea uh, the theories around this star but I don't think it's something natural I think it's something supernatural the star is really a visible expression of the glory of God Remember, it's not the first time that God uh, acted in this way. Do you remember when he led the Israelites out of the wilderness? Yeah, they travelled mostly at night. You know, you don't want to travel during the heat of the sun. I mean, look at this pale skin. Imagine that. It'd be terrible. I'd be travelling at night. And what did God give them at night? A pillar of fire to lead and guide them through. So this was a supernatural light that announced the supernatural birth of his son. Think of it this way. At the supernatural birth, a light shone. Just as at the supernatural death, there was a spiritual, a supernatural darkness that overtook the land. Do you remember that? As Jesus Christ, he went from uh, from the cradle to the cross. As he was dying for the sins of the world, God who is light, couldn't stand to see all of the sin placed upon his son. And so it's almost as if God just closed his eyes and the scripture says that all the land went into darkness. So you can imagine the joy of our heavenly father at the birth of his son, the brightness of the star that shone. You know, stars have always been used to guide people, haven't they? But today, God no longer places stars in the sky to guide his people to Jesus. Instead, he's placing you and I. You and I are placed in the pathway of people. We are the light. We're to shine the light. We're to radiate the light and the love of the Lord into people's lives. So God wants you to star this Christmas. He doesn't want you to be a rock star. He doesn't want you to be a movie star or a pop star. He wants you to be a spiritual star. That's what Daniel said in chapter 12, verse 3. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever and forever. Folks, the reality is, every single one of us, someone has been our guiding star. Maybe you've got that name in your your mind right now. Someone who's guided you towards Jesus. So think about, who can you guide? Who do you have in your universe this Christmas that you could guide to that little child in the cradle this year? Well, finally, we've gone from the Shekinah appears, the Shekinah attracts, to discovering what Shekinah accepts. Verses 5 and 6. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you, To you the riches of the nations will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Connecting into Matthew 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So they followed the star, but they found the light of the world. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Well, Christmas is in full swing here in our community, is it not? Let me ask: How is your Christmas shopping going? How many of you have finished all of your Christmas shopping? Raise your hands. Oh, wow! How many of you are about halfway through? How many of you have not started? good news of great joy that is for all the late and lazy people today in the town of Strathfield say a 7 has been born to you <laughs> getting all those last minute gifts but it's this time of year isn't it you know when we uh, we look for those <coughs> gifts for the ones that we love but I mean how sincere is your gift giving Think about how sincere is your gift giving. I heard about a guy who uh, brought his wife this beautiful big diamond ring one year for Christmas. And his mate afterwards said to him, Mate, I thought your wife wanted one of those sporty four wheel drives. He said, Yeah, she did, but where am I going to find a fake four wheel drive? (laughs) My kids have been asking me, What do you want for Christmas, Dad? What What do you want for Christmas? And I said to them, well, why don't you just put in and, and get me something that we can, we can all use. So this year they're getting me a new wallet. <laughs> Someone said, Christmas is that time of year when you exchange a whole lot of gifts you really want for a whole lot of crap you don't even like. I might have added in that word myself. Dads, have you got your Christmas faces on? Is your Christmas, do you know what I mean by the Christmas face? Yeah? You know, when they they give you that that gift. You know that gift? Yeah. Wow! Hey! Thank you so much! What is it? What What do we do with this? One year I had to say to the kids, Oh, fantastic, fantastic. You know, I really don't deserve this. I mean, I really don't deserve this. Did you know 79% of people think that Christmas is all about the gift giving? 79%. And did you know that here in Australia alone, a small country of only 30 million people, we're going to spend $66 billion on Christmas this year? Now, it's a party, yeah? We should celebrate, and if you've got cash, then go crazy. But one question I would ask you, Do my gifts to people proclaim the praises of my Lord? Folks, if you listen to most people talk around Christmas and gift giving, it's not peace, it's not contentment, it's not satisfaction. It tends to be stress and suffering and just looking forward to the day being over. But Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2, we read these words. Come, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters... And you who have no money, come buy and eat. You see, the world always wants you to pay a price that we cannot afford. The pleasures of this world are expensive, are they not? And they do not truly satisfy. But we remember at Christmas that someone else has come to pay the price that you and I could never pay to satisfy our thirsty soul. Come, it says. By wine and milk, without money and without cost. How many of you want to shop right there? It reminds us of the greatest cost of Christmas we can never pay. You see, we are to exchange the gift that we have received and give that gift to others at Christmas. I love this next line. Why spend money on what is not bread? How much stuff do we buy that's really just not important and essential to our lives? And your labour on what does not satisfy. I mean, what we do at Christmas, is it really the worship that the Lord wants? This year, like every other year, the mind gets blown, doesn't it? I forgot to mention that we've already spent $35 billion on the Black Friday sales. And a lot of that is the gifts for Christmas as well, isn't it? So it's like $100 million that we're spending. And those gifts, I mean, some of you a couple of years ago, you wouldn't remember who gave it to you. Some of the gifts we exchange as soon as we get it for what we really want. They don't fit, they're broken, there's parts missing, yeah? First thing, Tuesday, we're back down to the shops to exchange the gifts. But there is one gift, you know the gift. It's the gift that God wants everyone to receive. The great thing about this gift, it's a gift that is of equal value to each and every person on the planet. And it fits all sizes and all genders and it is the gift of Jesus, but for some reason, since the wise men showed up, we've been exchanging gifts. Someone said it would have been a whole lot different if the wise men would have been wise women. You would have listened to this. Wise women would have arrived on time. <laughs> Help deliver the baby. Well, that is their role. <laughs> Anybody else got a microphone? <laughs> Cleaned the stable. Made a casserole and brought practical gifts from Babies are Us. Wow. They didn't do all that, but they brought some pretty cool stuff, the wise men, didn't they? And they brought some stuff that was miraculous stuff. You know, we know there was three gifts, but why these three gifts? Because it was prophesied. Gold. Gold pointed to the majesty. You gave a king gold. That was the gift that was worthy of a king. It presented his majesty. Incense pointed to his deity. Yeah, we only They use incense in the temple to worship. And so we only worship the one true king and God, Jesus Christ. And myrrh. Myrrh pointed to his humanity. He was born to die. We use myrrh as an embalming when people pass. So Jesus is our king, he's our high priest, he is our lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it makes you think, it challenges you to think, how did you arrive at the gifts that you are going to give this Christmas season? Do they reflect the king's place on the throne of your lives? But before they gave their worth, they gave themselves in worship, didn't they? Yeah? Before they had what's in their hands, they gave their hearts to the Lord. They acknowledged that they were in the presence of someone much greater, much more powerful, much more important than they were. They worshipped a toddler. Can you imagine getting Lewis up here? And yet that's one of the problems with Christmas, isn't it? People in our community don't want to bow down and worship a kid in the cradle. So how are you going to pay homage to Christ the King this Christmas season? Folks, wise people, I think the wisest gift that we can give our God is still worship. So as I wrap up this morning, whatever it is you're searching for this season, remember the solution is always found in the Scriptures. It's always by feeding on the Word of God that you will be satisfied. Next, how are you guiding others towards Jesus this Christmas season? How are you shining? And does the gifts that you are giving, do they represent the worship that you have for your Lord and Saviour? Jesus Christ. Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. And so we're encouraged again to let our little lights shine with the presence of the Lord. Not just for one day, but for all 365. As the worship team comes back.